views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. To this broadcast of Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind these enemy lines of USA Inc. Today's date is January the 28th, 2019, almost through that first month of this new year. And I hope that your year has been going uh, okay thus far. First thing I want to do is just thank. Um, those who regularly support BTR News and just all our operations here at Black Talk Radio Network for being patient with me as I was suffering through a tweak of an old injury that I had that really had me lying on my back for a couple of weeks and and dealing with some psychological issues related to that injury. But I'm going to be back on air on a regular basis as I'm feeling just fine, a whole lot better, and uh, it's good just to be back on these airways to bring you information. Well, tonight I want to talk about something you've probably been seeing in the news here lately, and that is the American-led coup that is occurring in Venezuela. Now, a lot of the commentary that I have been seeing by the people that I follow uh, either on social media or YouTube and other outlets, I have to say, um, you know, that commentary has been been spot on. And there's been a few of them that have pointed out PNAC role in this. And when I say PNAC, I'm talking about an organization. I'm not even sure if the organization is still functioning. I'm going to have to look into that, but it was called a Project of New American Century or Project for the New American Century, also known as PNAC. Um, this was, they were really in the news a lot during the Bush administration. I would say towards the end of the Clinton administration, but, you know, I became made aware of that organization and a policy paper they put out called rebuilding America's defenses. And when I read that, it's it's in a PDF uh, document form, and I have it linked up for you in my program uh, description. I also got it uh, posted on my profile, all the links that, all the sources that I'll be discussing uh, tonight, you can find those on my profile, BTR News with Scotty Reed in BTR Community 
com. So, you know, definitely do your own research. Um, but I became aware of this group a very, very long time ago, again, back in the 2000s during the Bush administration. Um, interestingly, you know, um, Alex Jones, who has been pretty much disappeared from social media, um, but I consume a lot of media from a lot of different sources. I no longer uh, frequent his website. Um, when I first came across his website in 1999, it was remarkably different than what, it, what he's pushing today, which is racism. A lot of racism and white nationalism and what have you. Um, Alex Jones was not really pushing that type of stuff back in 1999. So he's the one that, you know, I credit with bringing PNAC, um, you know, to my awareness and what have you. And I read that policy paper and I was just horrified by some of the things I, I saw. And we will go over some of the highlights of that policy paper, Rebuilding America Defenses. So, um, let me give you a description of tonight's program. While some independent outlets and YouTubers have mentioned the Project for New American Century, which is a neocon think tank with the plan for U.S. global domination that was at the height of their power during the Bush administration, there has been no mention of PNAC in the corporate news outlets as Donald Trump appoints yet another PNAC member to his administration with little opposition from establishment Democrats. Now, in terms of Venezuela, just as oil was at the center of the overthrow of Saddam Hussein, and it wasn't just about oil, and that's why I think it's important that I talk about the project for a new American century because they basically came up with a 100-year plan. You know, that's how long a century is, 100 years, right? And, you know, on um, a radio program that comes on in the mornings, which I uh, engineer and, you know, I also provide commentary on Tando Radio Show. You know, Dave, the host of that show, has often said that, these people, meaning, when, you know, when we talk about these people, we're, we're talking about um, people in power, people that's really controlling things, people that are really have, um, what should I say, uh, undue influence over U.S. policy as these are unelected officials at these think tanks who write all of these policy papers and then lobby um, you know, uh, politicians that's in power to implement these policies. And then a lot of them find their way into different administrations and, and what have you. And like I stated already, they were at the height of their power during the Bush administration. So I want to unpack the history of PNAC, um, you know, with their coup attempt in Venezuela. And, and this is the second coup attempt of Venezuela. But, um, you know, with this recent coup attempt in Venezuela, one of the world's largest oil producers, we need to unpack this history because this is not happening in the bubble. Um, this is not an isolated incident, but it's part of a one-year, 100-year plan by these neocons that was laid out um, by the Project for a New American Century in their uh, policy paper called Rebuilding America's Defenses. But as as I stated uh, on social media, on one of my social media, or oh, a couple of my social media pages, 
when I when when I'm talking about these neoconservatives, that's what neocon is short for. When I'm talking about these neoconservative Republicans, we cannot lay it all at their feet, okay? Because you have to also figure in the neoliberals who in in they're pretty much on the same page as the neoconservatives when it comes to foreign policy and projecting American global domination using the military, using sanctions and and what have you. So, I mean, another thing Dave says, they always tell you what they're going to do. And they told us back in the early 90s what they were going um, to do. And, and since the Bush administration, they have been implementing their plan all throughout the Obama administration, even though he didn't have any neoconservatives, he had a neoliberal who I felt like had a lot of influence over um, Barack Obama, and that was Hillary Clinton. And, you know, we know, well, some of us know that Barack Obama expanded some of the programs of the Bush administration in terms of foreign policy, policy uh, continuing to uh, use drone warfare to to attack people with a lot of civilian deaths. I mean, he went over and beyond what um, George W. Bush did. And, you know, he pretty much continued the war on terror, um, the, the PNAC plan for the Middle East and the rest of, rest of the world. So this is why I tell people you cannot allow yourself to get caught up in this gang mentality when it comes to these political parties. And that's what we see. We see a lot of gang loyalty. Um, we don't see a lot of people being objective. You know, yeah, you have your values, you have your ideals on policy and how things ought to be. But a lot of times, though, um, I have found that the masses of people who participate in politics, um, they participate in it with a gang mentality. They're either Democrats or, and you know, they're going to rep those colors or they're Republicans and they're going to uh, rep those colors as well. I mean, these are the original Bloods and Crips. You know, we want to talk about colors and, and what have you. And that's just very unhealthy. Um, it's called fanaticism. You know, as I pointed out to someone who was talking about somebody being a fan of a particular politician. And as I told him, you know, fans are for sports franchises, not for politicians, because fan is short for fanaticism. Fanaticism is a metaphor for extremism. And a lot of people may not be looking at themselves as extremists, but you are. You are when you blindly follow um, political party lines and what have you, and you're not objective and you're not sticking to uh, any values that you may deeply hold and you just surrender to the party line. You take your marching orders from the establishment and that's just not healthy. It, it is not healthy whatsoever. All right, so that's what I want to talk about tonight. Um, before we get started, uh, let me say, please continue to support the North Carolina-based nonprofit Black Talk Media Project, which I'm the founder and president of, which also founded the Black Talk Radio 
Network. And we've been online providing you with digital radio and podcasts for 11 years now. And we hope to, you know, make it to 12 years and beyond. But the only way that we can do that is with uh, financial support from you, the listeners, for those who, who visit the website and consume any of the media. We have, we, you know, accumulate bills just like everybody else. You know, we, we're not on a free blog spot or wherever they have free accounts at for blogging or podcasting and what have you. Um, and I would also like to say that if you're interested in becoming a blogger on our network, a podcaster, or or you want to distribute videos, you could be based, you know, on another platform and just import your content, um, especially if your content is intended for our audience demographic, which our target demographic is African-American specifically in, Afri- in the African diaspora um, generally. Okay, because we do have listeners that tune in from different countries. Um, I haven't checked the stats lately to see just how many countries over the past month. But, you know, we've had over people tuning in um, from over 200 countries uh, in the past. So um, definitely reaching into Africa because the Internet's global. All one needs is an Internet connection. And so um, we do not take corporate funding we do not apply from for grants from some of these very think tanks that give out these type of grants uh so that they can control the independent media we we don't do any of that we are totally um self-sufficient and we rely on our listeners to fund this um, media endeavor. So go to blacktalkradionetwork.com you'll see a number of links um, to make a donation, please do that. But again, I got ahead of myself. If you're interested in in becoming a media publisher on our network, if you, even if you're new at it, um, definitely I work with people one on one to teach them the technology and everything they need to know. But you can do that by becoming a subscriber to BTR Community. And a publisher on Black Talk Radio Network for twenty for twenty four dollar a year contribution. We feel like you know the tens of thousands of people that we reach every month. If each and every one of them was making a small contribution, twenty four dollars a year just breaks down into what two dollars a month. And so if everyone was doing their part, as they would say, in feeding the roots instead of just taking the fruit off the vine, um, we wouldn't have any financial worries whatsoever. All right. Let me give out this telephone number just in case there's anybody uh, who wants to uh, ask me a question concerning tonight's broadcast and this topic about PNAC's long-term policies that work in Venezuela and why it matters. Uh, You can give us a call at 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice on your telephone keypad to signal me that you would like to ask a question or you have a comment pertaining to tonight's topic. 
um, please watch your background noise. You can also connect with us by going to uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network where you'll find some international um, numbers, toll-free numbers, as well as you can dial in using the um, voice over IP uh, connection. All right, so let's get started. Again, my name is Scotty Reed. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News on the Black Talk Radio Network. The first thing I would like to do is just play this clip for you of retired General, uh, I think he was in the U.S. Army, uh, retired General Wesley Clark. I believe he was in the U.S. Army. I don't think he was in the Air Force. I, yeah, yeah, Wesley Clark was in, a, in the U.S. Army. Um, and he gave a speech October the 3rd, 2007, in San Francisco, again, PNAC goes back to the early 1990s. Um, they In 1998, in trying to pressure the Clinton administration, they sent a letter to Clinton trying to push him into overthrowing uh, Saddam. So uh, I think that's the focus of Wesley Clark's uh, commentary that you are going to hear right now. Happened at 9/11 is we didn't have a strategy, we didn't have bipartisan agreement, we didn't have American understanding of it, and we had instead a policy coup in this country, a coup, a policy coup. Some hard-nosed people took over the direction of American policy, and they never bothered to inform the rest of us. I went through the Pentagon ten days after 9/11. I couldn't stay away from Mother Army. I went back there to see Don Rumsfeld. I'd worked for him as a White House fellow in the 1970s. All this is in the book. And, um, and I said, am I doing okay on CNN? He said, yeah, 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 fine. He said, uh, I'm thinking about it. He says, I read your book. And uh, he said, uh, this is a book that talks about the Kosovo campaign. And he said, I just want to tell you, he said, nobody's going to tell us where or when we can bomb. Nobody. He said, I'm thinking of calling this a floating coalition. What do you think about that? I said, well, sir, uh, thanks for reading my book. And, uh, well, uh, he said, thanks. That's all the time I've got. <laughs> really? And um, I went downstairs. I was leaving the Pentagon, and an officer from the Joint Staff called me into his office and said, I, I want you to know, he said, sir, we're going to attack Iraq. And I said, why? He said, we don't know. He said, uh, I said, well, did they tie Saddam to 9-11? He said, uh, no. He said, but um, I guess it's, they don't know what to do about terrorism. And so uh, the, it, they think, but they can attack states and they want to look strong. And so I guess they think if they take down a state, it will intimidate the terrorists. And, you know, it's like that old saying he said, if the only tool you have is a hammer, then every problem has to be a nail. Well, I walked out of there pretty upset. And then um, we attacked Afghanistan. I was pretty happy about that. We should have. And then I came back to the Pentagon about six weeks later. I saw the same officer. I said, why, uh, why haven't we attacked Iraq? We still going to attack Iraq? He said, oh, sir. He says, it's worse than that. He said, um, he pulled up a piece of paper off his desk. He said, I just got this memo from the Secretary of Defense's office. It says we're going to attack and destroy the governments in, in seven countries in five years. We're going to start with Iraq, and then we're going to move to Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Iran. I said, seven countries in five years. I said, is that a classified memo? 
He said, yes, sir. I said, well, don't show it to me. He was about to show it to me. He said, because I want to talk about it. And I, I, I sat on this information for a long time, for about six or eight months. I, I was so stunned by this, I couldn't begin to talk about it. And I couldn't believe it would really be true, but that's actually what happened. Uh, these people took control of the policy in the United States. And I realized then it came back to me, a 1991 meeting I had with Paul Wolfowitz. You know, in 2001, he was Deputy Secretary of Defense, but in 1991, he was the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. It's the number three position in the Pentagon. And I had gone to see him when I was a one-star general. I was commanding the National Training Center. I had met him one time. He said, if you ever get to Washington, come look me up. They always say that. Well, I was there in Washington. It was a Friday afternoon. I'd visited Colin Powell. He'd given me five minutes of his precious time and sent me on my way, and I was bored in the Pentagon. And, and I thought, I'll just go. Who can I see? I'll, I think I'll see Wolfowitz. So I called and up there. He was available. Scooter Libby came to the door. I met Scooter for the first time, and he brought me in. And uh, I said to Paul, I said, and this is 1991, I said, Mr. Secretary, you must be pretty happy with the performance of the troops in, in Desert Storm. And he said, uh, well, yeah, he said, but, but not really, he said, because the truth is we should have gotten rid of Saddam Hussein, and we didn't. And this was just after the Shia uprising in, in March of 91, which we had provoked, and then we kept our troops on the sidelines and didn't intervene. And he said, but one thing we did learn, he said, we learned that we can use our military in the region, in the Middle East, and the Soviets won't stop us. He said, and we've got about five or ten years to clean up those old Soviet client regimes, Syria, Iran, Iraq, before the next great superpower comes on to challenge us. And it was like, you know, I'm coming out of the Mojave Desert. I've been training troops. I haven't been thinking geostrategy for some time. And suddenly, a guy just sort of shoves this nugget at you. Well, you remember it. It was a pretty stunning thing. You mean the purpose of the military is to, to, to start wars and change governments? It's not to sort of deter conflict? We're going to invade countries? And, I, I, you know, my mind was spinning. And uh, I put that aside. It was like a nugget that you hold on to. This country was taken over by a group of people with a policy coup. Wolfowitz and Cheney and Rumsfeld and you could name a half dozen other collaborators from the Project for a New American Century. They wanted us to destabilize the Middle East, turn it upside down make it under our control. It went back to those comments in 1991. Now, did anybody ever tell you that? Was there a national dialogue on this? Did senators and congressmen stand up and denounce this plan? Was there a full-fledged American debate on it? Absolutely not. And there still isn't. And that's why we're failing in Iraq. Because Iran and Syria know about the plan. All you have to do is read the, the, the weekly standard and, and listen to Bill Crystal, and he blabbermouths it all over the world. Richard Pearl the same way. They could hardly wait to finish Iraq so they could move into Syria. It was like a laydown. Oh, our legions are going to go in there. This wasn't what the American people voted George Bush into office. Well, they didn't actually vote him into office, but it wasn't what many of the people who... 
It wasn't what he campaigned on. He campaigned on a humble foreign policy, the most arrogant foreign policy in American history. He campaigned on no peacekeeping, no nation building, and here he is with Afghanistan and Iraq. It's astonishing. So the root of the problem is not how many troops are this call in is being Iraq. Recorded. Please believe me. Don't be mad, if you're a Democrat, at your Democratic congressman because they can't reduce the troops and frustrate the president. That's not the issue. And if you're a Republican, don't be mad at the Democrats because they're fussing with the troops. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, if you're an American, you ought to be concerned about the strategy of the United States in this region. What is our aim? What is our purpose? Why are we there? Why are Americans dying in this region? That is the issue. All right, as I stated, that's, um, that was retired General Wesley Clark. Now, that is a little speech he was given, a presentation that he was given because he had just come out with a book, and that was in 2007. Now, just piggybacking off of or taking note of some of the things, a couple of things that he said. He said that they wanted to attack all of those countries. They wanted to topple Iraq, Iran, Syria, Afghanistan, and I think he mentioned Somalia. Yeah. In five years. Now, that's a pretty ambitious uh, plan right there, but as you can see, it didn't work out that way. Uh, they did not get into Syria, still in Iraq, still in Afghanistan, even though I was reading today, um, you know, or it's been announced that Trump is withdrawing the troops from Syria and there's supposed to be some kind of peace agreement uh, with the Taliban is, that uh, the United States has been negotiating. But look how long we, we've been in those places, still haven't left. And it wasn't until the Obama administration that Syria uh, was invaded by U.S. troops. Illegally, I might add, because Congress never authorized uh, those troops in Syria. Okay? I know Hillary Clinton was pushing for it a lot. And, oh, yeah, he mentioned Libya, right? He, he mentioned seven countries. He mentioned Libya as well. Well, look what happened to Libya. So they, they didn't do it all in five years, but it's a hundred-year plan. Remember that. Project for a new American century. A century is 100 years old. So it's taken them over 20 years to realize their plan. Um, they still they want to fight with Iran, but you know they've been fighting a proxy war in Syria um, with that. Now they were saying quite arrogantly that hey we want to do this before another superpower arises. I think they were um, uh, banking on the collapse of the Soviet Union at the time. And, well, we know the uh, Russian Federation isn't so weak anymore. And that's always been a nuclear-powered uh, nation. And now, also, we see China uh, rising to a role uh, of superpower status in the world. So, you know, they had a five-year plan, and it didn't quite work out that way, but it is not stopping them. 
And, you know, as I look at what's happening in Venezuela, I'm like, this is PNAC. This is the PNAC 100-year plan for global domination, what they call Pax Americana. All right. Um, This is a bunch of white racist men who have a plan to dominate the world. And, you know, again, they call themselves or they are called neoconservatives, but neoliberals are right there with them working hand in hand because, you know, um, these countries were attacked or invaded or proxies were supported to overthrow these countries like in Libya, um, you know, by the Obama administration. So, again, we cannot get into our feelings about Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton and we can't get into our feelings about our political gang affiliations and think that, oh, Democrats are good and Republicans are bad. No, there are bad people in both of these parties, okay? There are, I would go beyond saying bad people, I would say horrible people in both of these parties. And um, we see the destruction that they are causing and have caused throughout the world. And, you know, Venezuela just falls right in line with that. So, you know, our only plan is be on air as long as necessary for me to get through this information again. If you have any questions or comments or information you would like to share concerning this topic, uh, give us a call at 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. 5056 hit the start key twice to uh, alert me that that you have something to say and I will come to you. But let me go ahead and just start. Well, I played that for you from Wesley Clark again. That was 2007. But it's taken them quite a long time to try to carry out this plan. But again, it's a hundred year plan. But they were ambitious in stating, oh, we want to do all this in five years. So I want to give you some overview information about the project for the new American century. Again, this is in the links I provided uh, as my sources. Uh, I'm going to go to sourcewatch.org, sourcewatch.org, project for the new American century. Again, that's known as PNAC. And it was, oh, yeah, this kind of answers my question. They are defunct but their members are still active in carrying out the plan. But PNAC is listed by sourcewatch.org as a neoconservative think tank from 1997 to 2006 that had strong ties to the American Enterprise Institute. PNAC's website said it was established in the spring of 1997 as a nonprofit educational organization whose goal is to promote American global leadership. You know, they got the same kind of nonprofit as Black Talk Media Project because we are an education organization, but we educate you in the use of new media technology. All right. So um, they were a quote unquote nonprofit education organization whose goal was to promote American global leadership. PNAC's policy document, and again, if you haven't read this document, it's, it, it might be a hundred or more pages long. Uh, you should check it out, but I'm going to give you a brief overview of some of the main points uh, in that article before I close out this broadcast. So let me go on. 
Uh, PNAC's policy document, Rebuilding America's Defenses, openly advocated for total global military domination. Many PNAC members held high, highest level positions in the George W. Bush administration. And now we see Bolton, who was a PNAC member, as well as this other guy. Uh, is it Richard Pearl? I don't think it's Richard Pearl. I got an article on him. Um, what is this guy's name? I'll, I'll get to it when, when I, Elliot Abrams, that's his name. He was just appointed as the special envoy to Venezuela by Donald Trump. So PNAC swamp creatures have made their way into the Trump administration. All right. So, um, it says that, um, let me see, many PNAC members held highest level positions in the George W. Bush administration. The project was an initiative of the New Citizenship Project, a 501c3. Uh, in 2009, two of PNAC's founders, William Crystal, you might see him on Fox News from time to time, or you might see him on CNN, as well as many of these people. You know, they bring them on to be the quote-unquote experts um, and and these people are demons, man. I'm telling you, they are demonically possessed people. Um, and Robert Kagan began what some term PNAC, PNAC 2.0, the Foreign Policy Initiative. Okay, so, all right, I got it. Um, um, when people, again, I hate to give them the credit, but Alex Jones, I got to give them the credit for uh, making me aware of PNAC and a whole lot of other people aware of PNAC. So when the word got out about PNAC and it was getting all of this bad press, I guess they shut it down and started another organization. You know, like how some of these corporations will change their names, like um, the one Eric Prince had that that um, um, military mercenary group that they deployed to Iraq, uh, I, I forget the name. It's called Z Services now, but I forget the name it had before. Boy, they got all that bad press for killing them civilians uh, in that square. They changed their name. All right. But the people remain the same. Um, PNAC was co-founded by William Crystal and Robert Kagan in 1997 with roots in the 1992 Pentagon. PNAC's original 25 signatories were elected mix of academics and neoconservative politicians, several of whom have subsequently found positions in the presidential administration of George Walker Bush. PNAC is noteworthy for its focus on Iraq, a preoccupation that began before Bush became president and predates the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. In 1998, the group wrote a letter to President Bill Clinton, Mississippi Senator Trent Lott, then the Senate Majority Leader, and Newt Gingrich, then the Speaker of the House of Representatives, demanded a harder line against Iraq. By then, the group had grown in numbers, adding individuals such as former Reagan-era U.N. Ambassador Gene uh, J. Kirkpatrick and longtime Washington Cold Warrior pro-Lukid Party. Lukid, that, isn't that an Israeli party? Uh, Richard N. Pearl. And I mean, it's, it's a whole bunch of them. Dick Cheney um, was part of it. Elliot Abrams, who I mentioned earlier, who was just appointed as the special envoy for the coup in Venezuela, that they trying to pull, uh, pull Donald Rumsfeld. Y'all know who he is. Uh, Paul Wolfowitz, 
um, who you'll see. I think poor Wolf of Wits is on CNN. I, I could have the Wolf of Wits is, uh, confused there. Um, but John Bolton, who is Donald Trump's national security advisor. I mean, it's a whole lot more names, but these are the more recognizable names to people who pay attention to politics um, and what have you. Um, let me see. Is there anything else I want to... Um, here, it give me some bullet points, but I want to get into this article um, that highlights some of the bullet points. And I, I remember when I read that paper they put out called Rebuilding America Defenses, the thing that stood out to me the most, and, and we'll get to it, uh, this particular article that I linked to, it doesn't get to it last, but I want to say it now. Um, because if you're talking about racism, um, these people were talking about developing biological weapons that can identify people by biological markers like like skin color, eye color, just any kind of genetic marker. Um, you know, that's why people were, well, not the only reason why, but some people were concerned about the human genome project and mapping out, you know, all these, di- and then the way they collecting people's DNA these days with people trying to, you know, research their heritage and you got these companies doing DNA analysis. Well, you're stockpiling a lot of information that, that could be used by people to create biological weapons, okay? And, you know, this isn't conspiracy theory. This is conspiracy fact. They These people put it in documents, and I link to those documents for for you to see. So let me see what, what do I need to cover next. Um, let me go into this article from Anti-War. And, again, if you have any questions or comments, information you would like to share, uh, please don't don't hesitate. I, I'm gonna try to keep this under an hour, um, um, so I'm gonna be going through this. But please feel free to interrupt. Um, I can just pick up where I left off. But this comes to you from antiwar.com. It was written by Bet Stockbonner on June 18, 2003. So this is like several years. Um, Four years before Wesley Clark, you know, uh, that clip we just heard gave that speech telling those people about PNAC. Um, but, um, you know, again, Alex Jones, the one that pimped me to the hit me to these people and um, information clearinghouse.org is where I found the PNAC uh, document to read it for myself, which I linked to the P- PDF file. Um, but let me read this this article, and it's kind of long, but I think it's worth us going through this, okay? Uh, I'm going to go through, and they break it down. What they're doing is breaking down the policy paper, Rebuilding America's Defenses, um, you know, just highlighting some of the stuff that's in that paper. Um, again, Bet Stockbanner wrote this on June 18, 2003, Rebuilding America's Defenses in the Project for the New American Century. Rebuilding America's Defenses, RAD, uh, is a policy document published by a neoconservative Washington think tank called the Project for the New American Century, a.k.a. PNAC. Its pages have been compared to Hitler's Mein Kampf 
in that they outline an aggressive military plan for U.S. world domination during the coming century. Again, this is a 100-year plan. And just as Hitler's book was not taken seriously until after his catastrophic rise to power, so it seems that relatively few Americans are expressing alarm at this published document that is a blueprint for many of the present actions of the Bush administration, actions which have begun to destabilize the balance of power between the nations of the world. And and so again, you know, there this article it, it was written during the Bush administration, but the things that are mentioned you could see play out since the Bush administration, you see them, and I feel like Hillary Clinton. Well, I don't think, and I'm just, I'm, I'm admitting that I don't know for sure. I'm just speculating right now. See, I don't think Barack Obama was down with them like that. You know, he he had the wrong skin color. Okay, so I don't think that they was going to allow him. And then he was new. He was kind of new to politics and, and and all of that. You know, on the national level, he, what, only did one term in Senate? Did he even do a full term in the Senate? So, but I think Hillary Clinton was their assurance that their 100 plan was going to be carried out and she was going to put pressure from the inside of the Obama administration to get him to do some of these things, which, you know, now you got Obama saying that Libya was his worst mistake. Now, I don't want to make any excuses. Again, I'm speculating, but I just don't see these 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 racists bent on global domination, what some people call white white supremacy. I don't see them letting somebody in in a circle that's not white. They'll use whoever, but uh he was not in their inner circle. But I believe the Clintons are Okay, because they go to these conferences around the world, Bilderbergers conferences and, and all that type of stuff. So let me, let me continue on. Um, there is indeed much reason for alarm because PNAC is not an ordinary think tank and RAD is not an ordinary policy paper. Many PNAC members now hold key positions in the White House, Defense, and State Departments. Among them, Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Paul Wolfowitz, Richard Pearl, Elliot Abrams, Louis Libby, and John Bolton, along with others in lesser positions. William Crystal, writer for the conservative magazine, The Weekly Standard, and I'm so glad The Weekly Standard's going out of business, is chairman of the group. Some of these men have been advocating for a strong military posture since the ending of Cold War hostilities with the Soviet Union, wishing to capitalize on the fact that the U.S. had emerged as the world's preeminent superpower. They have lobbied for increases in military spending in order to establish what they call a Pax Americana that will reap the rewards of complete military and commercial control of land, sea, air, space, and cyberspace. This, they said, will be accomplished by by the waging of multiple simultaneous large-scale wars, and one of their first orders of business was always the removal of Saddam Hussein, thereby giving the U.S. a toehold in the oil-rich Middle East. See, this is why the United States refuses to leave. The, the back during the Obama administration, um, the uh, 
I don't know the exact terms that they use for their government, so I'm just going to use terms I'm familiar with, but their equivalent of the Congress over here um, has, since the Obama administration, has been demanding that U.S. forces and other foreign forces leave their country. And yet here we we remain there. They just issue uh, another demand to the Trump administration to leave. And we're still there. Okay. So, um, you know, this has just been playing out over the last, what, 30, 30 years, 30 years. So, all right. So let me go on. It says during the Clinton presidency, when the Republicans were out of power, this militaristic wing in American politics became highly organized and efficient. They formed the PNAC in 1997 and published RAD in September of 2000. Determined to have their world empire, they offered an eerie prophecy on page 52 of that document about how it might be accomplished. Further, and it's in quotations, this comes from the policy, I mean from the paper. Further, the process of transformation, even if it brings revolutionary changes, likely to be a long one, absent some catastrophic and catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. Their dream of catalyzing an event could not have been better actualized than in the events of 9-11. And so, you know, this is a lot of 9-11 truthers. They will cite this document. They have cited this document. Now, if you don't want to go as far as to believe that 9-11 was an inside job, then... I don't think it's a far, I don't think, I think it's reasonable to believe that they let it happen. And there's evidence that they let it happen. It was just too many coincidences on that day. For example, you know, the Air Force tasked um, in that region, tasked with security, um, you know, of um, our airspace. Oh, they just happened to be doing drills on the day that, uh, these planes with miles off course and, you know, there was no response and what have you. I'm not even going to get into the fact that um, a lot of engineers have said that it is impossible due to the design of the Twin Towers for planes crashing into them carrying kerosene fuel to melt those steam bills and cause it beams and cause it to collapse in on itself. But, uh, you know, that's controversial, all right, for a lot of people. They don't want to believe that. They want to believe in the goodness of your government, but, you know, um, I don't see how you can how you can put anything past these people. Now, it says, although there could have been many responses to the tragedy of 9-11, the Bush administration seized upon that event to mold public opinion into sept into accepting many ideals embodied in RAD. The overthrow of Saddam Hussein was being proposed by Rumsfeld and Wolfowitz one day after 9-11, even before anyone knew who was responsible for the attacks. As soon as the war against Afghanistan was completed, again, we're still in Afghanistan, the focus, uh, because they overestimate themselves, and this is why I tell I have uh, told people these people are not supreme. Okay, they uh, they are not supreme. Do they have advantages? 
Yes, they have advantages, but they are not supreme. They thought they were just going to overthrow these seven countries in five years, and, um, you know, that ain't been the case, right? And, and sadly, it has cost the American people a lot of blood, limbs, and uh, money, putting us into debt. I think I was reading today that the United States government is about to borrow $1 trillion to pay off its debt, but yet they just spent all that money on a military um, um, defense budget. I think it's something like a half a trillion dollars. It was over 500 or half a billion dollars. It was over 500 million. Okay, so um, let me see. Was it 500 million or 500 billion? I'm not sure. Um, But anyway, policies advocated in RAD are being enacted with terrifying speed, such as the denigration of the UN, importance of homeland security, abrogation of international agreements, meaning violating those agreements. International law means nothing to these people. These are lawbreakers, man. I'm telling you, U.S. law means nothing to them. Hillary Clinton is against the law to call for the assassination of a foreign head of state, let alone one who is a U.S. in an agreement with the United States government to be an ally in the war on terror. But she certainly stood in in, um, uh, wherever she was uh, at, what is it, Afrocom or wherever she was, I think she was in Italy at the time, where she called on those Libyan jihadists talking about, hey, we can't wait till you capture or kill him. That's against U.S. law. Was she prosecuted for it? No. Many crimes she committed, she wasn't prosecuted. So, you know, I I got into it with this suspected racist today uh, who was making excuses for Clinton. I don't even know why we got on Clinton because we was talking about Kamala Harris' record. And he going to say, you know, he was saying that the Republicans made up scandals about Hillary Clinton. And so I started detailing the stuff Hillary Clinton did, including Libya. You know what this suspected racist said to me? Oh, Gaddafi was a criminal. Really, dude? And Hillary Clinton's not? How many American presidents fit that bill of being a criminal? So, you know, I I, kind of shut him up real quick um, because they can't stand the facts. Uh, Let me see. Let me go on. Let me see policies. Uh, It says, in Iraq, we have seen the embodiment of RAD directives. Again, this was written in 2003, and we see more of this stuff coming to fruition. Um, They call for the subjugation of regimes considered hostile to U.S. interests and the prevention of military buildup in countries that may challenge U.S. power. So when you hear people talking about U.S. interests, Think about that. Think about how immoral that is. It's in my interest to take out Gaddafi because he's standing in the way of us arming them Syrian jihadists that we want to use to take out Assad. Or Gaddafi is trying to uh, uh, bring Africa up as a continent, um, you know, the African Union, and put them in a superpower status by saying, um, putting African Union on the gold dinar and saying, hey, you want to buy resources from Africa? We only taking gold. We ain't taking U.S. dollars. See, that's U.S. interest. It's, it's in the U.S. interest to use, as Dave calls them, 
uh, paper funny money, instruments of debt, they want to be able to, to give these other nations uh, this dollar bill that ain't worth nothing to get resources. And Gaddafi was like, no. Yeah, y'all want some resources out of Africa? You're going to have to bring some gold. You're going to have to pay in gold. And they took them out. Took them out for, for you know, that reason. And because they, uh, as uh, Wesley Clark said earlier, these Pinnack dudes named Libya as being on their uh, list of targets. It don't matter that George Bush in 2005 sat down with Gaddafi and not personally sat down, but the diplomat sat down. Gaddafi said, okay, I'm not going to pursue any weapons of mass destruction to try to protect my country from you invading and overthrowing us like you've done these other countries. We're going to enter into this agreement with you. We're going to help you catch these jihadists in Africa. And a lot of people don't know Gaddafi was, and Libya was the first country to issue a arrest warrant for Osama bin Laden for blowing up embassies in Africa. Okay? So, anyway, just some history there for you. Um, some recent history there for you. Um, it goes on to say, uh, Bush's axes of evil nations, Iraq, Iran, and North Korea are mentioned numerous times as potential trouble spots. And there is repeated insistence that the U.S. established military outposts in the Middle East and East Asia. And, you know, I don't think I should, uh, I think most people know, well, maybe not most people but those who, who know about these things, there we have military bases in over 180 countries around the world. This is part of their 100-year plan. Like Dave said, they tell you everything that they're going to do ahead of time. It's just whether or not you're paying attention. Wesley Clark said that. Talking about uh, Bill Crystal blabbing off at the mouth and telling everything that they have planned. And now, you know, we got these millennials coming up and becoming a voting age, and they don't know nothing about this. They do not know anything about this. All of these progressive up-and-comers, I haven't heard them talk about PNAC, even though they may be right on the issue of foreign policy. I don't think they even know that this is a 100-year plan. And that the party that they belong to in their right to mount a rebellion within the Democratic Party against these establishment uh, neoliberal candidates. Because they part of it, they, they are down with this. They are down with this. Matter of fact, in terms of Venezuela, you just had Nancy Pelosi and Dick Durbin, I think that's his name, the number two guy in, in the House of Representatives right now, just gave the green light to Trump and said, hey, hey, we down with you. Let's get Maduro out of there. This is part of their 100-year plan for global domination, people. Now, it, um, let me get to some of the highlights. Uh, let me see. Four vital missions. Red list. Four vital missions demanded by U.S. global leadership. Homeland defense. That's how we got homeland security. See, we're writing about it. 
The United States must counteract the effects of the proliferation of ballistic missiles and weapons of mass destruction that may soon allow lesser states to deter U.S. military action by threatening U.S. allies and the American homeland itself. Of all the new and current missions for U.S. armed forces, this must have priority. See, this is why they don't want countries like North Korea to have a nuclear weapon because it ensures them against being invaded. It it give it gives them, you know, a trump card, so to speak. You ain't gonna be so quick to invade a country that got a nuclear weapon, are you? They they trick Gaddafi into giving up his quest for these type of weapons in in exchange for easing of the sanctions. And then look at what they did. Now, I don't hear too many people that's talking about, oh, we can't abandon the Kurds in Iraq. What will our allies think of? Well, why do y'all don't use uh, Libya as that example? Why y'all weren't saying that when the Obama administration went in there and murdered Gaddafi and turned the country over to a bunch of uh, extremist jihadists? That was an ally of the United States. That's a crime. Large wars is the number two uh, vital mission that they laid out. Second, the United States must retain sufficient forces able to rapidly deploy and win multiple simultaneous large-scale wars and also to be able to respond to unanticipated contingencies in regions where it does not maintain forward-based forces. All right, so... You know, AFROCOM is part of that, uh, getting a toehold in Africa and whatnot. Iraq, as as they mentioned, was their toehold in, in the Middle East, which they refused to leave. And it, it just it just continues, man. And then, you know, uh, people talk about we must support the troops. I care about the troops. You know, we got to take care of the troops. Y'all not taking care of the troops. Y'all don't care about the troops because, look, We've been in constant war. How many how many troops have been maimed or killed? That's why the VA system is overstrained right now. All these people, and if they don't have physical injuries, they have mental injuries. PTSD. Y'all don't care about these people do not care about the American troops. All of that is all of that stuff about the uh national anthem and oh, that's just a military recruiting tool. These people don't get, care about veterans. They don't care about the lives of these men and women in uniform. And I I know because I was one of them. They don't care. They're cannon fodder. Now, it talks about constabulary duties. In other words, they talking about being the world police. Again, you know, as Wesley Cart was talking about, you had Donald Trump, uh, not Donald Trump, um, getting ahead of myself. George Bush campaigned on that. We're not going to be the world police. We're not into nation building and regime changes and all of this and that. And, and you know, uh, no, we, you know, we just want to protect our homeland and all. But once he got in the office and got surrounded by these PNAC boys, what happened? Same thing with Donald Trump. Didn't Donald Trump campaign on not being the world's police? Didn't he campaign on that? I believe so. All right. And now we got what? We got uh, him threatening 
to start a war in Venezuela while claiming to be, you know, trying to get the United States out of Syria, which, you know, we got a small presence there. Um, They're not going to stop funding the uh, proxies that they've been funding to take out uh, uh, take out Assad and what have you. Um, So, you know, these people campaign on stuff and then they get in the office and, you know, it's just totally opposite. Trump talk about draining the swamp. Well, what swamp you was talking about? Because you got a bunch of swamp creatures from the PNAC who are flooding into his administration. All right? So um, that's what they're talking about. They said, third, the Pentagon must retain forces to preserve the current peace. What peace? In ways that fall short of conducting major theater campaigns. These duties are today's most frequent missions, requiring forces configured for combat for combat, but capable of long-term independent constabulary operations, meaning, you know, they're going to be the police. They're going to be the permanent police in Iraq. They want to be the permanent police in Syria, the permanent police in Somalia. Uh, They didn't got a foot, a toehold in Chad, a toehold in Kenya, and other African nations. Now, talks about the fourth point, transform U.S. or the third, fourth mission, transform U.S. armed forces. Finally, the Pentagon must now begin to exploit the so-called revolution in military affairs sparked by the introduction of advanced technologies into military systems. This must be regarded as a separate and critical mission worthy of a share of force structure and defense budgets. That's on page six. The failure to provide sufficient forces to execute these four missions must result in problems for American strategy. And the failure to prepare for tomorrow's challenges will ensure that the current Pax Americana comes to an early end. That's on page 13, meaning they won't be able to carry out their 100-year plan if we don't spend a majority of the um, uh, budget on defense. If we don't invest in this drone technology and and all of that type of stuff, you know. So um, let me see. I'm going to take a station identification break. I'm already over an hour. I I probably should have known I wasn't going to be able to get through all of this in an hour. But uh, let me get into... Let me get let me play a station identification break and then we're gonna talk about uh this point about usurping the power of the UN. Cause see, we see that playing out with Venezuela right now. Trump's already said he don't care, nothing's off the table. Yeah, they going through the motions of going to the UN Security Council where they were rebuked by uh uh Russia, rebuked by China, uh rebuked by Guinea Equatorial, it was some African nation, rebuked them. I didn't watch the whole two-hour thing, but, you know, um, they want to usurp the power of the UN, and we've long known that there's been a conservative effort to uh, diminish the, I don't want to say authority, I want to say the credibility but they want to be the world police. They don't want to have to go to the UN to get permission through the UN Security Council as by international law before they invade these countries. They just going to do it because they 
That's how they think. That's how they always, they just do what the hell they want to do, especially to non-white people and everybody else be damned. If you don't like it, do something about it. That's that's their attitude. So I'm going to take a station identification break. We'll hit that point. But then I want to get into some of the more, um, some of the other stuff that's in that red document. Um, that, Like, for example, I learned today, you know, I read, when I first read this paper, it was back in 2001, Sometime towards the end of 2001, I'm talking about rebuilding America's defenses in 2002, um, but um, I did not recall that they were talking about a space force or they would call it a space command. What has Donald Trump been talking about this year? Oh, we got to invest in space force and, and we got to control it. That's all in this document, people. That's all in this document. They try to hide, they they tell on themselves. They go off of these same playbooks. Whether it, if it get leaked, that's why they so want to kill um, Julian Assange and take down WikiLeaks because they keep getting exposed. And sometimes they just tell them, on, they tell on themselves, as in the case in publishing their po- policy paper. But let me take this station identification break. Again, if you have a question or comment, the number is 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice to alert me, and we will bring you on board to hear what you have to say. Your choice for digital black radio, new black media for the new millennium. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of Pax Americana. All right. So, um, you know, we get there are so many distractions in the world. And I'm not talking bad about anybody that may be distracted with what I consider to be uh, B.S., and what have you, because they're very good at their at their job of distracting the masses. But, you know, that's why it's important to support independent media um, that will bring you the stuff that you're not going to get from your corporate news outlets. They they may they may share some things with you, but they're not going to go into details like we do here on online. All right. So. The article, again, which is from antiwar.com, talks about them usurping the power of the U.N. It says, and they're quoting the document, further, these constabulary 
missions are far more complex and likely to generate violence than traditional peacekeeping missions. For one, they demand American political leadership uh, rather than that of the United Nations as the failure of the UN mission in the Balkans and the relative success of NATO operations there attests. Nor can the United States assume a UN-like stance of neutrality. American troops in particular must be uh, regarded as part of an overwhelmingly powerful force. That's on page 11. Securing global hedge money or hegemony. Red takes the posture that only the U.S. should manipulate international relations and points out trouble spots that may cause future problems like all of East Asia and Iraq, Iran, and North Korea, labeled by George Bush as the axis of evil. There is concern that several nations might come together to challenge U.S. interests. You mean like Russia, China, and Iran are doing after, again, this this policy paper is proof of who the aggressors are, okay? So y'all talking about Russia, 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 all you want to. But the documentation shows that it's the United States who are the aggressors on a global scale. Not Putin, not Kim Jong-un or whatever his name is. Not uh, whatever the president of Iran's name is. I forget what his name is uh, or whatever. It's the U.S. government. It's all right here. It's all right here. Okay. But again, we have so many propaganda outlets that masquerade as cable news who are pulling the wool over the people's eyes. They're not having nobody come on and talk about uh, PNAC. They might mention some of the crimes of these PNAC members when they get appointed to positions like special envoy to Venezuela as, it, as in Elliot Abrams' case. They they not going they not really gonna delve into it, people. They not because because they don't want you to know. This paper talks about being able to control information, but that's you know that's been going on way before PNAC members were even born. American media has always been a part of upholding. Um, racism in this country. All right, so let let me move on. Uh, before I move on, we have a own unknown caller who just muted, uh, unmuted themselves. Uh, caller, thank you for calling in and chiming in. Go ahead with your name and your question or comment. Uh, this is Rona. Um, I was just calling to ask if you could give me your thoughts on Trump talking about pulling out of NATO. My thoughts on Trump pulling out of NATO is NATO is a force of evil. I think Trump is just running his mouth, um, and it's not going to happen. He, you yeah, know, that's yeah, wondering. yeah. Trump talks a lot. You know, he say a lot of things. He he speaks off the cuff and and what have you. And actually, well, you know what? Let me do like I said. This other guy said. Don't we shouldn't underestimate Trump. We really shouldn't. But by him threatening to pull up pull out of NATO, 
Do you know that those other member countries have stepped up their contributions to amount to $100 billion? I was just reading an article about that yesterday. Wow. So, I hadn't heard that yet. Yeah, so Trump could have been schooled on how to manipulate these other countries to contribute more money to NATO. Yeah, that makes sense. Because when he talked about pulling out of NATO, it didn't make sense to me. I thought that doesn't even kind of go along with the plan. So, I'm, yeah, that threw me off. So, But that makes sense now if he's just using it for leverage. Right, right. Did you have any other questions or comments? No, thank you so much, Scotty. Oh, you, you're welcome. And please, at any time during this broadcast, if you have another question, or comment, uh, don't hesitate to chime back in. All right, so uh, let me go to, let me jump down here. Actually, again, this was written in 2003. Um, the PNAC paper, uh, Rebuilding America's Defenses, was written in 2000, but PNAC was founded in 1997 uh, when, you know, they started getting all this, this bad press from the alternative media um, you know, they shut down PNAC and, and started another organization, which I talked about at the beginning of the broadcast. Um, let me move on to some stuff that we see happening now, because some of this stuff is, is um, I think it's been covered before, and it's not really relative to what's going on uh, today. Uh, let me see Europe. Uh, let me cover this, because, you know, Ukraine... Uh, Dave was talking about the Ukraine and he's been talking about the Ukraine on Tando radio show and you know how the the United States kind of fomented a coup um, against the pro-Russian democratically elected president and installed a puppet there and they used Nazis to do it okay and then you know Russia pushed back on that and and took over Crimea um, and what have you. So, you know, they were talking about Europe in in that context in, in the PNAC papers. So despite the shifting focus of conflict in Europe, a requirement to station U.S. forces in northern and central Europe remains. The region is stable, but a continued American presen- presence helps to assure the major European powers, especially Germany, um, that the United States retains its long-standing security interests in the continent. This is especially important in light of the nascent European moves toward uh, independent defense identity and policy. It is important that NATO not be replaced by the European Union, leaving the United States without a voice, or one could say, without a vote in European security affairs. All right. We see that playing out right now in, in the Trump administration. We saw it play out in the Obama administration. You know, they used NATO that was primarily France uh, and U.S. air power that bombed Libya back into the Stone Ages. And this was a U.S. ally at the time. Gaddafi had given up his quest for weapons of mass destruction for self-protection or self-preservation, whatever you call it. Uh, became an ally, started hunting down and throwing jihadists in jails and, and look what happened to him. NATO. NATO provided the air power for them jihadists on the ground. All right. So, 
uh, regime change. It talks about, oh, by the way, that's on page 16, that what I just read to you. So, you know, that goes back to uh, what our caller w- was talking about in her question and asking me, do you think Trump was serious about, you know, pulling out of NATO? Um, you know, which we pretty much came to the same conclusion that he did that for leverage in in trying to, um, I guess, uh, lessen the economic burden on the U.S. taxpayers. Um, But um, let me move on. Uh, That was page 16. Now, on page 61, it's talking about regime changes. And I mean, they just bold and open with it now. You know, they not even being covert uh, covert about it. They being overt about it, especially when it comes to Venezuela. You know, um, they tried to make up some lies about Gaddafi killing his own people and giving Viagra to um, African mercenary, all this racialized language coming from. Susan Rice and others um, in the Obama administration uh, talking about Gaddafi giving these African mercenaries uh, Viagra to go on a raping spree and all and all of that. You know, um, they tried to feign humanitarian concern and what have you, um, and they're trying to a certain extent feign American uh, humanitarian concern for the people of Venezuela. But don't don't fall for that. American military preeminence will continue to rest in significant part on the ability to maintain sufficient land forces to achieve political goals such as removing a dangerous and hostile regime when necessary. Um, It goes on to say America's adversaries will continue to resist the building of the American peace. I mean, man, they call in global domination by the barrel of a gun in American peace. America's adversary will continue to resist the building of the American peace. When they see an opportunity, as Saddam Hussein did in 1990, they will employ their most powerful armed forces to win on the battlefield what they could not win in peaceful competition. And American armed forces will remain the core of efforts to deter, defeat, or remove from power regional aggressors. And again, these aren't nations that's attacking their neighbors. These are nations that are engaging in self-determination. You know, Iran does have a right, even though we want to get away from nuclear power and get into and and encourage the world to get into renewable energy because nuclear is so dangerous and it poisons the environment. You got to get rid of that nuclear waste and, and all that. And we saw what happened with Fukushima Fukushima accidents happening, all of that. But Iran, as a signatory to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Agreement, does have an international right to develop nuclear power. And we saw what they did to Iran using the internet, which they talked about in this paper, using you know internet viruses, the Stuxnet virus, to attack. Um, the nuclear facilities and the centrifuges of Iran causing them to blow up. Okay? So it's not like Iran has invaded Saudi Arabia. It's not like Iran has invaded Israel. It's not like China's invading anybody. It's not like, well, Russia did invade Crimea. Crimea, How do you say that word? Crimea. They did invade Crimea, 
But that was after a coup against the democratically elected um, president of Crimea. All right. So anyway, let me move on. Using the military to gain empire. I'm going to skip over some of this stuff. Um, the Army talks about the Army, the Air Force, the Navy and Marine Corps overseas bases to advance American geopolitical interests. Uh, ask yourself, what is America's geopolitical interest? Huh? What, what is it? Now, we do have a military that's largely still powered by fossil fuels, so they want to make sure that they secure other nations' oil reserves or make sure that they can get it at a cheap price. That's because the, the military, them tanks and all, they, they're running on fossil fuels and what have you. So it's in their geopolitical interest for world domination to overthrow Venezuela, install a puppet who is then going to privatize their oil fields um, um, and then sell, you know, oil cheaply to these corporations and, and what have you. So that's an example of American geopolitical interests. All right, so let me move on. Nuclear expansion, they're, they're talking about expanding um, the nuclear. Now, it was something I saw in here in terms of when I was uh, going over it earlier today um, that talks about um, they were encouraging the United States to leave the ballistic missile treaty that they had with, um, with Russia. Now they're trying to accuse Russia of violating that treaty. And the number, and even before Russia announced this latest missile they developed, what they say is within the boundaries of that, that um, uh, missile treaty they entered into with the United, United States. Well, Donald Trump was thre already threatening before they announced that new weapon that he was going to pull out of it. He had already announced that. That's in this PNOT document that was written in 2000. Um, what else does it say? Let me see, but what should finally drive the size and character of our nuclear forces is not numerical parity with Russian capabilities, but maintaining American strategic superiority and with that superiority, a capable capability to deter possible hostile coalitions of nuclear powers. U.S. nuclear superiority is nothing to be ashamed of. Rather, it will be an essential element in preserving American leadership in a more complex and chaotic world. I mean, but the world ain't that complex. And it is certainly chaotic, but who is the agent of the chaos if it ain't the United States? You know, I seen some person on Twitter um, today. I don't know who they were. They had a little blue check mark by they by their name or whatnot. Oh yeah, I know what the art. It was an article talking about Stephen Miller, the white nationalist in in Trump's administration. He said that he'll be happy when these refugees quit coming to the United States. And my response to that is, I'll be happy when the United States quits creating refugees around the world. That's what's missing from this debate about the border security and building this stupid wall. I don't see no Democrats. Well, I take that back. Maybe one or two, and I can't call a name out right now. But 
nobody's really pointing out except for the grassroots media that you the one who backed the coup in Honduras and now you got a second caravan of immigrants or I should call them refugees fleeing violence right wing violence as well as gang violence because y'all destabilized y'all backed that coup against their democratically elected government. Why? Because they were socialists? Since when is that an excuse to go invade somebody else's country? Let socialism live and die on its own merits. Let capitalism live and die on its own merits. But see, this type of capitalism that they're practicing is based on slavery. The Latin root word of capital means head count. What were slavers like Thomas Jefferson bragging about in letters to each other? That my wealth increases with every slave that's born on my plantation, every victim of slavery that's born on my plantation. Of course, he didn't call them victims. This is about enslaving the rest of the world for the 1%. If you one of those people out there who is in the middle class, in the working class people, or poor, don't think that you're going to get a cut of the spoils of war. Have you ever? No, you have not. The wealth gap continues to increase even, even as they steal other nations' wealth. For the 1%, we ain't in that 1%. Oh, Lord. Let me see. Space Command, Control of International Commons. This, um, and I like that um, Miss Bauer, what's her name? Let me scroll up right quick. I want to give her her name. Bet Stockbauer. Yeah, Bet Stockbauer. I'm glad she put the pages on here of where this is, and I have provided you with the link. It's only in, you can only find it now in PDF form, and I provided the link. You can download it, but she she's she's documenting. This is a well-written article, well-sourced article. She's telling you what page and everything. And we're seeing, if, if we, in light of this information, if we look back over the past 20 years, Starting starting with the end of the Clinton administration, we've been seeing all of this play out over that time period. It has a section in here talking about using the military to gain empires. Hey, they don't care nothing about the troops, man. We're just dogs of war for them. We're dogs to sick on other people. Space Command, now, Donald Trump was talking about this recently, earlier this year. I think he calls it Space Force, though. But this was written in 2000. Space Command, control of the international commons. Control of space defined by Space Command as the ability to assure access to space, freedom of operations within the space medium, and an ability to deny others the use of space must be an essential element of our military strategy. Page 55. You you don't think they noticing that China didn't put put um um 
Did they put no? They I don't think they sent a man mission, but an unmanned mission to the dark side of the moon, gathering data and what have you. See, they think. I mean, just how arrogant is that? You want to deny others the use of space? I mean, they. Man, I I have to give. I don't always agree with Mister Neely Fuller, but <coughs> excuse me. When he talks about white supremacy in the known universe, <laughs> these people are saying on page 55, we own the universe. We want to deny others the use of space. Goes on to read, the ability to have access to operate in and dominate the aerospace environment has become the key to military success and modern high technology warfare. How well the Air Force rises to the many challenges it faces, even should it receive increased budgets, will go far towards determining whether U.S. military forces retain the combat edge they now enjoy. I was talking about this earlier today. For those that don't know me, I am a Gulf War veteran. Um, I um, was working in the area of communications. I was during the war. I was in S3, for those that know what the S3 is. And and every night I had access to um, bomb data assessment reports that estimated the number of Iraqis that they killed. And I I was seeing thousands of people every night. They bombed the hell out of them people, man. I I, I mean, even tried to make a... Um, how did George H.W. Bush put it? We're going to bomb them for 40 days and 40 nights, you know, playing off of the Arabian tale about, you know, uh, uh, something to that effect. Bomb them people. I mean, they killed a lot of civilians, y'all. It was people that was trying to give up that was in the Iraqi military out there in the desert, and they was taking bulldozers and just burying them alive in the sand. This is why I say I'm not proud of my military service. I was only a, a young 20-something-year-old just starting to get an education on how the world works as I was reading Malcolm X's biography. But I I just, you know, I knew this wasn't right. I was sickened when them combat troops, when I would see them at the mess hall, if they happened, you know, to come to where the areas that we were in, and they had their little trophies, you know. They had their little trophies. No, they wasn't like the Vietnam uh, War, although I have read some stories about that, where they were cutting off people's ears and making ear necklaces out of them and stuff. No, they they had photographic trophies, man. And they would be passing these around to each other and laughing and joking about it. And this destroys our young people. It turns our young people into psychopaths. Why do you think they come come back home and they have all these problems? Let me get back to Space Command of page 54, 55. 
As Space Command also recognizes, the United States must also have the capability to deny America's adversary series the use of commercial space platforms for military purposes in times of crisis and conflicts. Indeed, space is likely to become the new international commons where commercial and security interests are intertwined and related. So they want a monopoly on space for commercial and military reasons. Talks about Star Wars. Talks about cyberspace or a net war. I'm going to tell you, you know, um, Edward Snowden did us a favor exposing the NSA's massive surveillance program on the Internet. They talked about doing this type of stuff online. I mean, in this paper. If outer space represents an emerging medium of warfare, then cyberspace, and in particular the internet, holds similar promise and threat. And as with space, access to and use of cyberspace in the internet are emerging elements in global commerce, politics, and power. Any nation wishing to assert itself globally must take account of this other new Global common. See, the internet was still relatively new at the time. A lot of people um, did not have personal computers like I did in 1999. I mean, today you can get a personal computer for $200, you know, from Walmart or whatnot. Back then, I had to have mine built by a company, a local company here. It cost me $1,200 for a desktop back in the day, back in 1999. Okay, that's how long I've been using this technology for a very long time. Um, But it talks about, although many concepts of cyber war have elements of science fiction about them and the role of the Defense Department in establishing control or even what security on the Internet means requires a consideration of a host of legal, moral, and political issues. There, nonetheless, will remain an imperative to be able to deny America and its allies' enemies the ability to disrupt or paralyze either the military's or the commercial sector's computer networks. Conversely, an offensive capability could offer America's military and political leaders an invaluable tool in disabling an adversary in a decisive manner. They're talking about attacking other people's infrastructure. They're talking like the electrical grids. I mentioned earlier how they attack Iran's nuclear facilities through the Stuxnet virus. Now, also something else. Let, let me let me tie this to Venezuela. All right. Because, again, you know, propaganda is a part of warfare. And propaganda comes in many different forms. But propaganda is basically media. It's information or disinformation. Let me, I, I think most of the listeners of the Black Talk Radio Network, and especially those attend the radio show, y'all already know why Dave calls Facebook Fedbook. We already know how the police, even the local police is doing surveillance on there. But in terms of controlling information, though, all right, look at what they just did to Nicolas Maduro, the lawfully elected in a U.N. monitored election 
I don't care if they talk about it wasn't fair. Wait a minute. Y'all boycotted the election. And the UN was invited in to observe the election and said it was free and fair. But y'all just want to rewrite history, right? You just want to tell a big lie over and over and over and over until people believe it, right? You know, they playing off of some of the stuff they learned from Hitler. And, and, and um, uh, what was his propaganda minister's name? I can't think of his name right now. Joseph Goebbels. All right. But what did, they, what did Facebook and I heard Twitter, but I'm not sure about Twitter because I heard that from somebody else. And I haven't checked his profile on Twitter. But on Facebook, they took away his rec- Mark Zuckerberg's company took away Nicholas Maduro's recognition as the official president and gave it to this Guido guy, whatever his name is. Okay? Y'all don't think Zuckerberg ain't part of this? He is. Twitter, I'm not so sure about as I am sure about Facebook. We've just seen it too many times. Now they want to tell you that what? How much money, less than $100,000 worth of so-called Russian ads persuading an election and now they want to give you tools to identify fake news and then start banning information from Facebook? Really? I mean, do y'all really believe that Hillary Clinton, who spent $84 million on Facebook alone, I mean, I couldn't log on without seeing an I'm with her uh, ad on Facebook or Twitter. But the the, the somebody spent, allegedly, because I don't know for sure, spent 74000 I think, less than 100000 on some ads that weren't favorable to Hillary Clinton and we're to believe that that swayed an election right no no they're using that as an excuse to get you to accept censorship on Facebook okay and and they talk about these type of things in here last thing I'll share on that Taken together, the prospects for space war or cyberspace war represent the truly revolutionary potential inherent in the notion of military transformation. These future forms of warfare are technologically immature to be sure, but it is also clear that for the U.S. armed forces to remain preeminent and avoid an Achilles heel in the exercise of its power, they must be sure that these potential future forms of warfare favor America just as today's air, land, and sea warfare reflect United States military dominance. That's on page 57. Again, that's the uh, rebuilding America's defenses. The last thing, because it, it, yeah, the, the, I, I've gotten to the bottom now. The last thing that I want to share with you, let me take a look at my notes. No, this won't be the last thing. Um, but the last thing from this this policy paper written by PNAC back in 2000, Rebuilding America Defenses, this is what stood out to me the most. Future forms of warfare, including biological. 
future soldiers may operate in encapsulated climate control powered fighting suits laced with sensors and boasting chameleon light active camouflage. Skin patch pharmaceuticals help regulate fears, focus concentration, and enhance endurance and strength. I mean, this is like the stuff we see in the science fiction movies, right? I'm thinking about the Winter Soldier right now, you know, from Captain America Civil War. Wow. A display mounted on a soldier's helmet permits a comprehensive view of the battlefield in effect to look around corners and over hills and allows the soldier to access the entire combat information and intelligence systems while filtering incoming data to prevent overload. It, man, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they ain't working on cyborgs. Individual weapons are more lethal, and a soldier's ability to call for highly precise and reliable indirect fires, not only from army systems, but those of other services, allows each individual to have great influence over used spaces. Under the Land Warrior Program, some army experts envision a squad of seven super soldiers able to dominate. I added the super part. Of squad of seven soldiers able to dominate an area the size of the Gettysburg battlefield, where in 1863 some hundred 165,000 men fought. So, they, so they're basically talking talking about some soldiers with advanced technology hyped up on drugs. The stuff of 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 the Marvel universe. Now, this is the part right here that is particularly sickening and it should concern us all. All of this stuff is concerning, but this right here really scares me. Although it may take several decades for the process of transformation to unfold in time, the art of warfare on air, land, and sea will be vastly different than it is today, and combat likely will take place in new dimensions, in space, cyberspace, and perhaps the world of microbes. Air warfare may no longer be fought by pilots maintaining tactical fighter aircraft sweeping the skies of opposing fighters, but a regime dominated by long-range, stealthy, unmanned, unmanned craft. They talking about drones. On land, the clash of massive combined arms armored forces may be replaced by the dashes of much lighter, stealthier, and information-intensive forces augmented by fleets of robots. Some small enough to fit in soldiers' pockets. Control of the sea could be largely determined not by fleets of surface combatants and aircraft carriers, but from land and space-based systems forcing navies to maneuver and fight underwater. Space itself will become a theater of war as nations gain access to space capabilities and come to rely on them. Further, the distinction between military and commercial space systems, combatants and non-combatants will become blurred. They, they don't even care. They don't even care if you're a non-combatant civilian. They don't care. And that's been evident throughout since the Bush administration, the Obama administration, and the Trump administration, and all of these civilians being killed in drone warfare or or with bombs, which I just read the other day, they just bombed a funeral in Afghanistan and killed about 30 people. 
This is disgusting, man. This is what they want to spend your children's future on. They ain't got no money for Medicaid for all or Medicare for all. They claim they ain't got no money for free uh, uh, college education, tuition free college education for all Americans. They don't want to spend no money in housing the homeless and feeding the hungry as I was you know, reading on Twitter today about the abject poverty of black children in Mississippi, which the UN even did a report on that. But they got money for all this stuff I've just been talking to you about. Something wrong with their priorities, don't you think? And this, this, ain't, this ain't their money that's being spent because remember, they get the big tax breaks. These are all multi-millionaires approaching billionaires. They get the true, you know what they say, Donald Trump's tax break costs one trillion in tax relief for the 1% with very little tax relief to the working class people. It goes on to say, information systems will become an important focus of attack, particularly for U.S. enemies seeking to short-circuit sophisticated American forces and advanced forms of biological warfare that can target specific genotypes may transform biological warfare from the realm of terror to a politically useful tool. In other words, we got your genome um, um, we, we, we got your genetic information because you've been giving it to us trying to find out where your ancestors from and we've been doing these genome projects and what have you and see now we can target people ethnically we can target people by their eye color we can target people who have a gene for a certain type of hair this is what these sickos are talking about if this is your first time hearing this information, you got to ask yourself, why hasn't the cable news outlets covered this in the last 30 years? And it's playing out, been playing out right in front of our eyes. This is their 100 year plan for global domination. That's sick, man. That's on page 60, by the way, where they talk about targeting people by genotypes. And if I remember correctly, they were saying also the benefit to these biological weapons is you can destroy the population while leaving the infrastructure intact. Meaning, for example, let's say, um, uh, let me see. Well, I, I'm trying to think of some capitals <laughs> um, in some of these countries. Uh, oh, okay, for example. They could have gathered the genotypes of the different type of people who make up the bulk of the population in Libya. And instead of NATO coming in and bombing the country back into the Stone Ages, destroying all this infrastructure, roads, hospitals, waterworks, schools, all, all of that. They could just drop a bomb that'll kill the people and leave, uh, leave all the buildings and infrastructure intact where they're in. They could just move in. They can just come in and colonize it. 
You know, just I, 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 I'm, I'm, you know, I bet you Custer would would probably have an orgasm thinking of if he was alive today, thinking about, dang man, we could, we could have, we wouldn't have had to been giving them Indian smallpox on a blanket. You know, we could have just, yeah, man, these are disgusting, sick, evil people, and they had the audacity to put it in a policy paper. Because they ain't nothing going to happen to them. And my last piece of information I'm going to share with you is a testament to that. As you got this mass murderer and mastermind, this mastermind of mass murder, Elliot, a- Elliot Abrams being brought into the Trump administration to handle everything in Venezuela uh, that they about to try to do to Venezuela. Now, let me give CNN some credit on this one. I'll give Ray Sanchez some credit on this one. But, you know, he could, it could have been a longer article. But U.S. Special Envoy for Venezuela has long controversial history in Latin America. The Trump administration's new special envoy on the Venezuelan political crisis is well known in Latin American circles from his guilty plea for withholding information about the Iran-Contra affair to his attempt to discredit accounts of the massacre of nearly 1,000 people by a U.S.-trained military battalion in El Salvador. Again, this goes back to what I was saying about Stephen Miller talking about he'll be happy if these refugees quit coming here. And I will be happy when they quit murdering these people, destabilizing their countries and creating refugees. That has to be, has to be included in the immigration debate. You think people want to just uproot and leave their home somewhere they was born and and certainly their country. Well, I ain't going to say that. We got some pretty, some pretty um, areas in terms of, uh, of our forest lands. And, you know, I, I'm just talking about the land. We got some beautiful land in the United States, but I, I you know, I'm just a, a sucker for tropical climates and what have you. I, I just love the tropics and, and what have you. So why do you think these people don't want to leave their homes? They don't want to leave the homes of their mothers and fathers and grandmothers and great grandmothers and, and just uproot their family and come here. They're being forced to do it. Elliot Abrams, a neoconservative Republican insider, was named by U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo this week to direct all aspects of the American campaign to replace Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro. Abrams, described by Pompeo as a seasoned, principled, and tough-minded foreign policy veteran. Again, he comes from PNAC, but they ain't mentioning that in this article. Maybe Mr. Sanchez doesn't know about PNAC and his history with PNAC. Uh, Abrams, um, it says, um, accompanied by the Secretary of State Saturday to urge the United Nations Security Council to recognize Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido as interim president. I mean, the dude boycotted. And Boots Riley on Twitter, he's a, a, a black filmmaker. Follow him on Twitter. Man, he has really been providing the receipts to these people that's trying to support this Venezuelan uh, usurper named Juan Guaido. 
They boycotted the elections. They even announced they were going to boycott the presidential elections ahead of the elections. They told the UN not to come in and observe the elections so that then they could turn around and say they weren't free and fair. Well, the UN came in anyway and verified that they were free and fair and they in the opposition still talking this. Oh, they weren't free and fair. People, we are dealing with liars. We're dealing with professional liars. You have to look this stuff up yourself. This crisis in Venezuela is deep and difficult and dangerous, and I can't wait to get to work on it, Abraham said after his appointment on Friday, noting that he left the State Department 30 years ago this week. Again, when was this PNAC paper written? Almost 30 years ago, right? At least, you know, over 20 years ago. Pompeo warmly welcomed him back, saying Abraham's passion the, and they kill me with this sort of language. The passing for the rights and liberties of all peoples makes him a perfect fit and valuable and timely addition. I mean, these people be saying this stuff with straight faces, man. You know, that just tells you they're pathological liars. Not all Latin American observers agree. Elliot Abrams, like his neoconservative colleague John Bolton, believes in using U.S. power to overthrow regimes Washington doesn't like. Not negotiate with them, said William Leo Grande, an American university professor who specializes in Latin American politics and U.S. foreign policy, referring to Trump's hawkish national security advisor. Again, these are PNAC people. He is the wrong person for the job of Venezuelan envoy because as long as the military remains loyal to Maduro, the only way out of the Venezuelan crisis is some sort of negotiated settlement. And, you know, Abrams likes to murder people. He likes to mastermind mass murders, slaughters. Leo Grand said Cuba could play a key role in reaching a negotiated settlement in Venezuela, but both Abrams and Bolton have a long history of vilifying Cuba. Abrams, as Assistant Secretary of State for Latin America under George H.W. Bush, that's the dad, opposed allowing Cuba to join the U.S.-sponsored talks between Angola and South Africa in the late 1980s, delaying the end of the war in Angola by years, he said. Abraham's controversial past in the region including, included his downplaying of human rights abuses by Central American governments close to the United States while serving at the State Department under Ronald Reagan. One instance involved the largest mass killing in recent Latin American history, the December 1981 massacre of nearly 1,000 men, women, and children in the Salvadoran village of El Manzoto by U.S. trained and equipped military units. They were training and equipped, um, training them down there at Fort Benning, which is in Georgia. They have a, uh, I don't know if it's still open, but it's called the School of Americas. That's where they brought in these people to these death squads in to train them on how to, you know, commit mass murder. A Human Rights Watch report on the massacre said that Abrams at Senate hearings artfully distorted several issues in order to discredit the public accounts of the massacre, insisted the numbers of reported victims were implausible, and lavished praise on the military battalion behind the mass killing. In 1991, facing a multi-count 
felony indictment, Abrams agreed to plead guilty to two misdemeanor counts for withholding information to Congress about the Iran-Contra affair. He was sentenced to two years probation and 100 hours of community service and later pardoned by President George H.W. Bush. The worst scandal of the Reagan administration, Iran-Contra involved the funding of anti-communist rebels in Nicaragua. Um, And the secret operation was directed by the National Security Council's Oliver North and used the proceeds from weapon sales to Iran to fund the anti-communist contras in Nicaragua despite a congressional ban on such funding. And he's not mentioning, perhaps he doesn't know, but the CIA was also uh, um, facilitating the sale of crack cocaine in the United States to pay for uh, military arms for these mass murdering uh, rebels. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. This stuff ain't happening in a vacuum. It ain't happening in a bubble. These are not coincidences. This is a detailed plan that was laid out in 2000 by the project of, an, of um, Project 4, the New American Century, in their policy paper, Rebuilding America's Defenses. And I'm here to tell you, I'm ask you, what Democrats have you heard opposing the appointment uh, Elliot Abrams, after this man has been caught in the past, was convicted of lying to Congress. No, he pled guilty to lying to Congress. Where is the Democratic leadership in opposing his nomination? No, the, or not his nomination, his appointment. No, the Democratic leadership, meaning Nancy Pelosi and Dick Durbin, are fully on board with Trump's plan, or I should say, PNAC's plan for Venezuela. It's not happening in the bubble, people. I get this information, I share this information with you, so that you will be informed when you get into these conversations and these debates. But this affects us all, people. It, you know, it, it's it's a it's a. Oh, how can I say? It speaks to the soul of America, if America has a soul. But it speaks to your soul and my soul and what we are going to allow to be done to other people around the world using our tax dollars, using our sons and daughters in the U.S. military. And it's all at our expense. We got to demand more. We got to call these people to the carpet. We cannot get into this political gang affiliation mentality to where, you know, hey, I'm a Democrat, I'm going to support the Democrats, or I'm a Republican, I'm going to support the Republicans, or I'm a Green Party member, I'm just going to roll with whatever, you know, the leadership lays out for me. No, no, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. All your decisions 
should be based on a moral compass that's pointing towards justice. This is not sustainable. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. And, you know, um, I just I, I just don't understand how people can go along with this stuff. I, yes, I do understand. Some people are just evil. Evil is as evil does. Others are just useful idiots. And others are genuinely misinformed. That's why it's important that we do our own research and if we don't have time to do that research that we help support the independent media producers whose research we do trust. It's very important. Well, with that said, I, I want to thank my one one caller for calling in, Rona. Um, thank you for calling in with, with a very important question about uh, Donald Trump and NATO. Um, and those who are listening right now and those who may listen to the podcast later. I will be back on air the next time I'm on air. It'll probably be Thursday night because um, um, tomorrow night we got real life radio coming on Black Talk Radio. Um, I want to listen to that. I don't want to do a program the same time they're doing a program. Um, Wednesday night is New Abolitionist Radio at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And I'm a panelist on that as well as the technical producer. So Thursday, um, I want to talk about um, the Senate. The Senate, um, Mitch McConnell introducing this anti-BDS legislation which I was happy to see Bernie Sanders come out today and say that even though he while he doesn't support BDS this is anti-First Amendment uh, legislation that violates the free speech of Americans and I've already started my research on that and the Supreme Court has already weighed in on this so I don't know why um um you know, it's even making its way back through the courts. They ruled on this back in the 60s when they tried to target the boycotts of the civil rights movement. The Supreme Court, in a unanimous decision, said that a nonviolent, politically motivated, economic boycott falls within First Amendment speech rights. This was back when Thurgood Marshall was still on the bench so that's how long ago this decision was, this case law was established by the Supreme Court. But yet we got almost half the countries, part of the United, I mean, excuse me, half the, the states, primarily in the South, have passed anti-BDS legislation where they want to punish American citizens if they don't sign a piece of paper saying that they won't participate in boycotts of Israel over its human rights violations uh, of the uh, towards the Palestinian people. So I want to talk about that um, Thursday night, cause you know it, it's just it's just um, it's just not right, man. We got to defend our own rights, man. Cause if we don't do it, ain't nobody gonna do it for us. Cause it's pretty evident that we got 
uh, members of Congress who are violating their OSA office to uphold the Constitution, which is also a violation of federal law. And these people aren't being held accountable. And they're, you know, it, it's like a dictatorship. That's, I mean, that's really a dictatorship right there. You can't protest against so-and-so because I say so. That's not right, people. Are you going to stand for it? All right, so that'll be my program uh, Thursday night. I will air that program at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time right here, Black Talk Radio News on the Black Talk Radio Network. With that said, peace and blessings to all. Y'all be safe out there.